Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Welcome to our summer series on wisdom, on wisdom. This book is filled with incredible wisdom, but the wisest man that ever lived who came from earth, not to earth, but from earth, his name was, anybody know? Solomon. As a matter of fact, one of the books that he's written called the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters and a lot of wise people I know read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Takes about four or five minutes. But The reason Solomon became so wise is his father was the famous giant killer, King David. The one that God took from being a little shepherd boy, the most rejected of his family, probably born out of an immoral relationship, and God raised him up and elevated him to be the greatest king in all of Israel. As a matter of fact, Jesus identified with the lineage of David. When people knew who actually Jesus was, he would say, Jesus, thou son of? That meant descendant of David. Because the Bible had promised that God would send a deliverer through David. So David, as he was dying, told his son Solomon, you're going to be the king. And so when David died, Solomon went into the temple and he went up to the altar and he prayed and he said, God, I have this great responsibility. I'm not a giant killer like my daddy. I'm not a great warrior like he was. I'm not the great advancer of taking new properties and all of that and lands and destroying the enemies. And so he said this, God, give me wisdom to know how to lead your people, to to how to handle all of this that I have inherited as king. And the Lord appeared to him and he said, Solomon, because you did not ask for money or wealth, because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies, Because you didn't ask for honor and fame, but instead you asked for wisdom to know how to lead my people. I am going to give you wisdom and honor and fame and money, and you will be like no king that has ever been before you or after you. By asking for wisdom, he became the greatest king in all of known history. How many of you would like wisdom? Okay, how many of you have ever done stupid things? I have a, one, one of my mentors, John Maxwell, says this, we're always one step away from stupid. As long as I know that I'm one step away from stupid, it keeps me reminded that, hey, at any given point in time, put in the right situ- wrong situation, I can do some really foolish things. So what is Wisdom. Wisdom that I need for my faith, my family, my finances, my work, every relationship of my life, especially my relationship with God. Well, most of our study is going to be out of the book of Proverbs, because that was the book that he wrote, one of the books that that, that Solomon wrote. And Proverbs has wisdom literally that covers every area of your life, money, marriage, relationship, children, friendships, business. As a matter of fact, let let me give you one. Maybe, maybe we will do this this summer. How many of you have ever loaned money to a friend? Okay. How many of you never got the money back? How many of you lost the friendship? 
Do you know that Solomon said over 3,000 years ago, don't loan money to a friend? Because he knows that what you lose is not only the money, but also the friend. You say, well, pastor, how about if I have a friend in need? If you have a true friend in need, give them money. If it comes back to you, you're blessed. If it doesn't, it's okay. You may be in need sometime yourself. That's why 90% of the people who end up co-signing for someone at the bank, the person they co-sign for ends up defaulting on the loan and you end up holding the bag. What is wisdom? Well, the dictionary defines wisdom as the quality of having experience, knowledge, good judgment, soundness of action or decision with regard to application of experience and knowledge. But what's the opposite of being wise? Being foolish. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. The dictionary defines a fool as a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. That's really nice. Most of our series is going to be out of this. So let's begin by listening to the first thing that he wrote in Proverbs chapter 1 about what wisdom does and how it can transform your life. Proverbs chapter 1, here's the words written from Solomon. Here are kingdom revelations, words to live by. Words of wisdom given to empower you to to reign, to be successful in life. Written as Proverbs by Israel's King Solomon, David's son. Within these sayings will be found the revelation of and an impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge. Those who cling to these words will receive discipline to demonstrate wisdom in every relationship and to choose what is right and just and fair. These proverbs will give you great skill and teach the, the young, the immature, and make them wise to give youth who don't have experience understanding of their design and their, and their destiny. For the wise, these proverbs will make you even wiser. For those with discernment, you will be able to acquire brilliant strategies for leadership. And then verse 7 says this in the message translation, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Read this with me. Only fools thumb their nose at such wisdom and learning. What does this passage teach us about what it means to have wisdom from God's perspective? The first thing that he says is bow down to God. Other translation says the reverence and fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. How many of you were raised in school teaching that we came via evolution? Okay. I know they didn't teach you you came from God. How many of you went to public school? As a matter of fact, uh, someone was telling me that even at one of the parochial schools this week that they got in trouble on one of their finals because the teacher pulled them aside and said, Adam and Eve was not a real people. That was a fictitious story. That's not really what happened. Why is evolution so demonic? Now, I know that some of you are here and you go, Pastor, you're just not as educated as I am and you don't understand this, but uh, a Clydesdale horse used to be a Great Dane and before that it was a demonic Mexican dog called a Chihuahua. (laughs) 
Okay, well, I'll let you figure that one out on your own, and you go sell that to somebody somewhere. Okay, but, but hey, basically, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, is from goo to you by way of the zoo. Or let me give you a little poem I taught my son, Wesley, when I was teaching this. First it was amoeba beginning to begin. Then it was a tadpole with his tail tucked in. Then it was a monkey swinging through a tree. Now he's my professor with a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with evolution? Let me tell you what's wrong with it. The demonic lie of it. Here it is. Not that things don't change, not that things don't grow and become bigger or smaller. Here's the lie. Evolution evolution teaches that everything came by accident and from nothing. And remember this. If it begins with nothing, then it ends with nothing. They've yet to answer the first most important question. Where did the first living cell come from? Where did it come from? Thank you for that rain, Lord, as an answer to confirm. So here's what he says. The first thing we need to do is honor. It all comes from God. First with God. And then from that we learn to love, to live, and to lead God's way so we can reign in life successfully. Wisdom is not just having knowledge and information. It's not even hearing truth alone from God's word. Because I know a lot of really, 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 really educated people that are really, really stupid. I have counseled a lot of psychiatrists and doctors. And they haven't learned that if you scream at your wife, you'll lose her. I know you didn't get that at the LSU School of Medicine. I want to get you into Pastor Jacob's school and don't be a fool. So wisdom comes not just from hearing information because there's a lot of people who have a lot of information between their ears. Wisdom is actually the ability to take truth and then apply it to your life so that it changes you. Wisdom is not, oh, oh, yeah, 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 Pastor Jacob, I get it. No, 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 that's not wisdom. Wisdom is not I get it. Wisdom is I live it. How how many of you got children? Raise your hand. How how many of you have ever had teenage children? Raise your hand. How many of you, it's very easy for you to know when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar and kill him? (laughs) Oh, I tell you, about 13 to 14. And the Lord came and said, I want you to go and sacrifice your son and kill him. He goes, I've been thinking about that for a long time. About 24 months I've been wanting to kill him. Why? Because, because you're just always telling them things that they should know. And, and, you know, you go, hey, why did you leave your room that way? Your room is, why did you do, I mean, did you pick up after yourself? Did you see, do you realize that your car's still running and you've been in the house for two hours? Do you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then when you tell them, they'll answer with two words that makes you want to strangle them. The first one is I, and what's the second one? I know. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And you know what the answer to that is? No, you don't. If you knew, I wouldn't be telling you. You may have heard it as a piece of information, but you've not applied it to your life so that it becomes wisdom. So now let's hear from the wisest man that ever lived. 
not from earth. Who was the wisest man that ever lived? Didn't come from earth. Jesus. You see, he's the creator. So he came from heaven. He's watching it from up here. He didn't come from here like us. He's watching. So he knows how things are supposed to be. This is the direction. This is the manual for the car, the truck, the vehicle named you. And he knows how it was created and he knows how it best functions. And so Jesus came from heaven and listen to what he said wisdom was and what a fool was. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. Everyone who hears my teachings and applies them to what? His life. Now, first he says everyone, because every time I say something like this, the enemy's in your ear going, that doesn't apply to you. No, that's not you. I wish your cousin was here. If your brother was here, he really needs this. He, no. It starts by saying everyone, meaning no one is the exception. Everyone who hears my teachings, number one, you got to hear it, and secondly, what? Applies it to his life, can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. And when the rains fell and the flood came with beating upon the house, this must be South Louisiana, it stood because of its what? Strong foundation. So here's what he says. When you hear the truth and you apply it to your life, you build a foundation so that when you stand on it, it doesn't move. It doesn't move. It doesn't say sitting in church. It doesn't say hearing the Bible. It says to those who hear the truth, Jesus said, and apply it to their life. Every time you apply it, your foundation gets stronger. It gets stronger. And then he says this. Verse 26. But everyone, again, no exception, who hears my teachings and does not apply them to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on what does sand do? Sand shifts every time the waves come. Sand shifts every time the wind blows. And that is why in this confused, broken, immoral culture, when people are going, well, well, what's right or what's wrong or what's morality or what's not morality? If you will stand upon the word of God, it hadn't changed since the Garden of Eden. And from that day to Jesus' day to today, it hasn't changed. It, it, it hasn't. It hasn't. And when it rained and it rained and the flood came and the wind and the waves came beating upon the house, what? It collapsed and was swept away. Now, now let me just share something with you that's going to be a shock to you. June the 17th, I will be 63 years old. I know I look 43. You're wrong for that. And let me tell you something that you don't realize till you get older. When you're young, I remember Michelle and I lived in about a 400 square feet apartment for the first two years of our marriage. And I said to her, this is all we're going to ever have for the rest of our lives. Get used to it. I told her that. I said, we're going to be in ministry. When we had our first child, she said, what are we going to do now? Well, there was a roof 
right outside the window and I said, we'll yank, we'll yank out that window and we'll add about 15 feet and Jacob Jr. can sleep right there. And that's when she called her mom on me. <laughs> now, God knew that six children were coming later and he knew all that was going to follow. But at that point in my life, I didn't know what I know now. Now I have owned a house. We're actually in the sixth or seventh house that we've owned, always moving after seven or eight years. I have some different things that I didn't own before. I have a 401k. Well, it was a 401k after a few of the crashes. It's like a 401z. But, I, I mean, I, I, you know, you have that, and then you have this, and you own that, you do the, and, and, and you gather things along life that are valuable and important so that you hope that you can one day give it to your, and your, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And it becomes very important that you get things that life won't wash away. You don't know that when you're young. You don't know that when you're young. But as you get older, you learn the difference between things that last and appreciate and value and those that don't. Here is what Jesus is teaching us. If you want to build your life in such a way that that which you put your energy and your effort isn't washed away the first time difficulties come, you must build it on the Word of God. Jesus is saying this. Both houses look the same. Both use the same exterior. The only difference was the foundation. In today's terms, if he was talking about people, both of these people went to church. Both of them read their Bibles. Both of them saved songs. Both of them, they all appeared the same until the storm came. So what actually causes someone to be a fool? What causes someone to be a fool? They hear the truth of God's word, but believe it doesn't apply to them. Psalms 14.1, Solomon's daddy, David, said this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt in their deeds or vile. I want to just say this to you. I have met very few real atheists my whole life. I've met a lot of people that deny there is a God because they want an excuse for their lifestyle and they hope at the end they don't have to answer to anybody. I met a lot of those. I met a lot of those. So what actually causes people to be a fool? The fool. What makes a fool a fool is the fool says, no, God. No. No. The fool actually believes that he's smarter than God. Now, wait a moment. You go, Pastor, I would never say that. Well, if God's word says do this and you do that, it doesn't matter what you say. What matters is what you're applying to your life. The fool actually believes that he is smarter than God. Let me give you a better illustration that will help you. I love Ford trucks. Any Ford truck men here? Three of you. God bless you. I love you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jacques. I appreciate the love. Hey, well, watch this. 
Imagine you bought a new $70,000, whatever, Dodge, GMC, whatever, whatever your favorite truck is. Okay, and you pull up to the gas station because you're out of gas, and you reach over in the manual as you get, pull up to the gas station and go, let's see, let me unlock the glove box. It says I need premium gas. And you say to yourself, this is a ripoff. This is a scheme from the government in Ford to take money from poor Cajun people who have already been hit with hurricanes and floods and grass crisis and job layoffs. And you know what? I'm going to show them. Oh, I'm going to show them. I'm not going to pay $3.50 for premium gas. I'm going and getting some water and putting it in there. Oh, I'm going to show them. Oh, they're going to know Boudreaux did something. And then when Boudreaux gets a half a mile down the road and his $70,000 truck is broke down the side of the road and somebody who you were laughing at that was putting in gas in their $500 car is driving 50 mile an hour past you going. You know what the greatest living proof is that this is true? Look at the lives of the people that deny it. The greatest proof there is of God is me looking at the lives of the people who don't believe in God. When you go against this book, you don't break the commandments. You break you. This is the designer's manual of how God created you to live. And when you do not live this way, you hurt you. Deuteronomy 6, 24 says, And the Lord commands us to fear him and to obey his commandments for our good always. It's for our good always. What makes a fool a fool? How, how many of you know people that just keep falling into the same mess? Every relationship they get in is bad. Every financial decision they make is bad. You know, you, be, you meet people. I meet women like that all the time. Pastor, there's no good men left in the earth. All every man wants is, well, you know what they want. And let me tell you something, Pastor, they just ain't no good men. Well, where are you dating people from? LaVondas? Cowboys? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you fish in a shoe pick pond, that might be all you catch. <laughs> Go ahead, clap. Come on. So listen to the words of a man who saw how people kept falling into the same trap and never got it. Proverbs 26, 11, Solomon says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats what? Let, let, let me explain that. So the dog is hungry. He's hungry. He starts going down his trash day. He looks over and he, he smells Popeye's. Extra crispy, extra spicy. He reaches up, he pulls the trash can down, he rips open that Popeyes. Man, he starts eating that. He licks the biscuit, there's a little honey on it, but dogs don't like bread. So he gets back on the bone, he eats up a couple of French fries, everything, just eating it all up, and he, he eats so much of it until he finally gets sick and goes, throws it up. And then he leaves. The hunger satisfied for the moment, but he was sick and he leaves. 
Now, the difference between you and me and animals is we're created in the image of God. We have a spirit. Dogs don't have a spirit. I'm sorry, dog owners. They don't have a spirit. Okay, your doggy, Fifi, won't be in heaven with you. Are you serious? Yeah, but you'll be in heaven. You won't need Fifi. There won't be ticks and fleas in heaven, so Fifi won't be there. Okay, that's another message for another time. Where was I? Okay, so, so he leaves. About five or six hours later, he's hungry. So he starts going down the same road because dogs have instinct. They just, they just go by instinct. So he starts going down the same road, and he sees some trash cans pulled over, and he starts smelling, and he goes, hmm, chunky chicken noodle soup with some Tonys on it. And he doesn't have enough cognitive brain to be able to say, I ate that, got sick of it, and threw it up. And so he eats it fervently, just like he was eating it the first time before he got sick of it. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? What would cause someone to go back to the very thing they were so sick of that they threw it up? Dr. Darius Daniels, my favorite preacher, says it like this. There is a difference between seasons and cycles. We all go through seasons. There's layoffs. The economy goes up. The economy goes down. We get older. There's different health challenges that we have. Things grow. We grow. Things change. That's seasons. In seasons, things change when seasons change. But in cycles, nothing changes till you change. You keep getting in the same bad relationships, having the same argument, fighting over the same thing, reacting the same way, and it becomes not a season but a a cycle. That is the cycle of the fool. That is going back to the very thing that you said you were sick of that you would never do again. What would cause someone who was so sick of something that they threw it up? What would cause it? Do you know... Well, I used to speak to teenagers on millions of teenagers on drugs, drinking, and sex. And when I would talk about alcohol, you know what the technical term, what's the technical term for being drunk? It's called not tore down, not messed up, wasted. No, that's not it. That's the Cheech and Chong term. I'm talking about the real medical term is called intoxicated. Intoxicated. You know what the word toxic means? Have you ever driven down the highway, you see a big 18-wheeler carrying this big container on the back, it has a crossbones and a skull, and it says toxic material? Did you ever want to have them pull over so you could get a drink? (laughs) No. Do you know what happens when you throw up? Your body is saying to you, This is going to harm you. This is going to hurt you. This is going to kill you. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. And so you start throwing up because it's toxic for you. Man, I wish your body did the same thing with bad boyfriends and girlfriends and financial decisions. I wish wish you could throw those things up like you do when you get intoxicated. It's the fool returning back. We call that addiction. 
a cycle of codependency. We call it a lot of things, but it's going back as though it never happened before. This cycle of a fool that keep them doing the same thing and they're always surprised by the same sad consequences that follow. What would make someone do that? Can I tell you what it is? The deceiver. He lies to you. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. You, you, you. Some of us have Sickheimer's. You know what Sickheimer's is? Boudreaux went to the doctor for a checkup. The doctor said, Boudreaux, he said, I got bad news and worse news. He said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I knew I was feeling bad, but you got bad news and worse news? He said, what's the news? Well, the first bad news is, he said, you have stage four cancer. You're probably going to be dead in a month. He said, well, what could be worse than that? He said, well, you have Alzheimer's too. He said, well, at least I don't have cancer. Some of you from Lafayette High will figure that out tomorrow. You know what Sinheimer's is? You forget how guilty you felt. You forget the shame. You forget the people that you hurt. You forget the promises that you made to yourself. I will never do this again. I will never act this way again. I'll never treat myself like that or someone else like it. You forget. It's the forgetting of a fool. So what makes a fool a fool? Today, dogs and you and me are completely different things. They don't have a spirit. They're not creating the image of God. Now, I'm going to just make a confession. Can I just confess to y'all right now? Yes. You know, every now and then a pastor needs to confess. Can I do it? Yes. The rest of y'all don't want to hear my confession? Okay. I hate dogs. Oh, I know, I know. Pastor, if you knew Fifi, you would love Fifi. L listen to me. I love you. I love being your pastor. I hate Fifi. <laughs> no, that's not what's bad. I know, lest you think less of me. All right, already. I, I do. I hate dogs. The only thing I hate worse than dogs outside is dogs. Now, you ready for my confession? I've had an inside dog in my house for 35 or 40 years of marriage. <laughs> now, you say, Pastor, I thought you hated dogs. I do. I just love my wife more than I hate dogs. <laughs> you can clap. Go ahead. And my, my, my son, who's at a discipleship training school, had a dog that he left for us to take care of, which outside in a kennel, and so I have to take care of the dog. And I, again, I don't like dogs. So, I, I mean, when you let the dog out, we have a lot of property for him to roam on. When you let the dog out, it's almost impossible to get him back in. So we tried doing everything. We used leftover steak. We, I mean, just anything. Now when we eat, I'm asking people at other restaurant tables, could I have this so I can get my dog back in his kennel? <laughs> so finally, so finally, I figured something out a while back. I don't know why, you know, forgive me for not thinking of this sooner, but you can get Bar D hot dogs for 99 cents a whole pack. Now I'm not advertising for them, they're trash. 
So, so I bought a pack of Bardee hot dogs. So this dog who, you know, Michelle used to, he used to listen to Michelle, but now he doesn't even listen to her. She's a dog person. So I bought these hot dogs and this dog that refuses to go into the kennel. Look, as soon as I walk out with that 90, hey, it is worth a dollar a week for me to get that dog in. <laughs> My wife's laughing. This is all exactly true. I will pull that hot dog out and look, that dog that is fighting me, that dog that we've chased all over the neighborhoods, runs through the bushes down Verot School Road, that dog, that demon dog. <laughs> I pull out the, one of those 99s <laughs> back, and, and he just... <laughs> because dogs are led by their flesh. How many traps of the enemy does he use just to wave in front of you? And when you do, you become like the dog returning back to his vomit. The porn. The fear. The anger. The depression. The rejection. The lust. All of it. How many times does he wave that in front of you? And you become like the dog returning back to his vomit. So here's the question I want to close with. How do you break this cycle? Or how do you let go of something that won't let go of you? How do you let go of something that won't let go of you? How do you get free from it? Jesus said in John 13, 31, then Jesus said to those disciples who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How, how does that happen? It's this encounter between the knowledge that I know from God's word and applying it to my life so that when I take what I should be doing and what I know, and they marry together, and when I join them together, I get free. Here I'm frustrated here I'm miserable. Here are my kids. I know. I know. I know. Oh, I know. Most people spend their time counseling with the counselor they can argue with instead of sitting in the presence of God with the God that knows their heart. And they'd rather pay you $150 to disagree with you than to sit in God's presence for 30 minutes so that he could tell you what he knows and nobody else but you know. Pastor, how can I let go of what won't let go of me? Number one, give me four practical steps. Number one, look right here. How many of you would be mad at your pastor if you saw me steal a car? Some, if you saw someone steal a car in front of me and I said nothing? How many would be mad at me if you saw somebody have an affair and I, right, I knew it, it was right in front of me and I didn't say nothing? How many would be mad at me if I watched someone steal something and I never said anything? Okay, good. You, you would be upset with me as your pastor, right? Okay, so I'm going to say this then. Listen. If you're living in sexual immorality, repent. If you're living together, repent. If you're watching porn, repent. If you're having an inappropriate affection to someone who's not your mate, repent. Repent. 
Because until you do, you will know what this book says. But until you apply it to your life, you will not be free. You'll be frustrated. You'll frustrate yourself. Because you know what you need to do, but you refuse to surrender yourself to the living God and to bow to Him first, which is the beginning of all wisdom. Pastor, you, don't, you just don't know how I feel. You just No, I don't. But I know He does. I know He does. Repent. I was pulling up to a restaurant the other day, and one of our amazing men who gave his life to Christ here, very successful, comes walking out, sharp, good-looking guy. Walked him through a terrible situation, and that was a few years ago, and, you know, he's single now, and beautiful girl that comes with him, gorgeous, comes with him, and uh, he comes, sticks his head, hey, Pastor, how you doing? I love our church. I just love it. I tell you, it means the world to me. I said, well, that's amazing. When are you going to get married? Well, Pastor, I mean, you know, just, you know, I mean, just, you know, I'll walk through, uh, you know. No, when are you getting married? Are you sleeping together? Well, Pastor, I mean, just only with her. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, If you were lying, you would want me to correct you. If you were stealing, you would want me to correct you. My job is to represent God, not to be your friend. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, those who live in immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent! And then I said to him, if you don't marry her or break it off, I'll put you out of the church in two months. You say, Pastor, that's mean. No, I would rather have you united to God than united to something you're unwilling to commit to. What does repent mean? It means that I'm going this way, 100 miles an hour towards New Orleans, and I realize I'm going the wrong direction, and I turn around, and I start heading towards God the other direction. It's to see it to hate it, and then to turn away from it, to turn to God. To turn to God. Look at me. I know you might think I'm being hard, but I want you to listen to your pastor. The person that is kind to sin is cruel to themselves. Fear, guilt, and shame follow sin like a massive tornado and a hurricane everywhere it goes. Do you still like me? Yes. Okay, just want to be sure. <laughs> Revelations 2.5 says this, So remember the heights from which you've fallen, and what? Repent. Change your, your old way of your sinful behavior and seek God's will. Repentance is turning away from sin so that I can turn holy to God because I can't have them both. I can't have them both. Secondly, renew your mind. Ephesians 4.23, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. John 15.3 says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Look right here. 
This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. Renew your mind. Renew it in worship and in the word. Wasn't worship great today? You know what worship's like? It's like coming in and like being those solar panels where all of a sudden you just do this and all of a sudden the power and the presence of God start washing up. Two things happen when you worship. Strength comes to you and you know what else happens? Weights that you were carrying, God starts cutting off of you. So you gain strength that you didn't have and freedom that you didn't have just by being in the presence of God. Being in that presence. Here's the third thing. Reclaim new ground. Ephesians 4.27 says, Leave no such room or a foothold for the devil and give him opportunity. You know what a foothold is? It's a hole where someone can grab you so that when they grab you, you fall every time. What's the foothold? It's the place you fall into all the time. And finally, number four, repeat your sin to a trusted friend or accountability. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I believe that we can confess our sin to God and He forgives us. That's what the Bible teaches. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But there's a time when I need to confess it to somebody else so they can help me. Let let, let me explain what I'm talking about. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. Confess your sins to and pray for one another. Why? So you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and power to produce wonderful results. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but we confess it to other people so that we can be healed. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know somebody that has a habit that really hurts them? Raise your hand. How many of you have spoken to them about that? Raise your hand. How many of you haven't because they wouldn't receive it? Raise your hand. How many of you, like me, have discovered advice that's not asked for, usually it's not appreciated? Okay. Guy sat down and he said, man, I want you to pray for me. He said, why? He said, man, my, my temper's just so bad. He said, I went off on my kids the other day. And his friend said, thank you for saying that. Two weeks ago, I was with you and I walked in your house and I saw how you were talking and I couldn't even believe it. I wanted to say something to you But by confessing it, I now have a permission to address it. You invite somebody in for strength to help you. When should I do that? If it's a habit that you've struggled in, it's a foothold that you've constantly fallen in, you need to bring somebody else into the equation. Finally, you've never asked one person, what do you want to do with your life? And they went, oh, I want to be a fool. Oh, that's my goal. I want to get a PHF, a doctorate in foolology. 
but we all know people that have lived in the same cycle and the same throw up and the same vomit year after year after year, don't we? Hence comes the saying, there's no fool like an old fool. Dr. Darris likes to say it like this, experience is always the best teacher, it's just the most expensive one. (laughs) I used to tell teenagers this, when you learn by experience, you get the test first and the lesson last. Most of those tests, I failed. Today, what are the cycles in your life of foolishness? What are the cycles that when you fall in and you go, God, I hate it when I do that. I keep telling myself I'm not going to do that anymore. I keep telling myself I'm not going to act like that way. I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to look at that anymore. I'm not going to respond that way. I won't eat that. I won't say that. I won't do that. What are the cycles in your life? Look at me. I have them too. I have them too. I was so fortunate. I inherited addiction, adultery, bad self-esteem, no education, and I was a Mexican. I mean, I won the lottery. I went to counseling and they filled out a thing about this big, like all the different things. You know, addiction, fear, insecurity, anxiety. It's like four pages and you're supposed to check them, which one you had. I checked all four pages, one big check. I'm like, they go, why did you do that? I go, I'm jacked up. Whatever the jacked up version is, that's what I am. Because sometimes when your life's been respectable and people can't always see the foundation, See, money can keep everybody from seeing your foundation because you build fences and you build walls and you cover up. When you were raised like I was raised, you don't have the resources to cover up the foundation. The choices you make and the consequences follow immediately behind you. Money can buffer that. Influence can buffer that. Look right here. The Bible says a good name is better than gold. It's better than gold. You know what I want to leave my children? Pastor Jacob was your daddy. He was a good man. starts off being a fool. They just get stuck in the cycle and never get out. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. It's life-changing power. Thank you for its mind-washing power. Thank you that when truth encounters the brokenness and the lies of our lives that we've held on to for years, the lies and the brokenness must let go. We'll apply your truth to our lives. 
Lord, I pray right now for every single person here, starting with myself, my family. Lord, we don't want to live in the cycles. We don't want to live in the trap of a fool led by the next little doggy treat that drags us away. Today, pray for every precious person here. I thank you for the treasure of being their pastor, the honor of that, and the honor of speaking to their hearts, for the trust and the confidence they place in us as their pastors. Pastor Chris, Pastor David, Michelle, I, Pastor Joseph, Pastor Phil, thank you. But Lord, I pray that you would operate and do soul surgery today. Do soul surgery today. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Only you can do it. Take that word and operate on us today. Just take a deep breath right where you are. Lord, cleanse us. Lord, cleanse us and wash us, Lord. Cleanse us and wash us, Lord. every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman were born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, pastor, I've been Christian, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's not what Jesus said. He said in John 33, if you were born again, you wouldn't see the kingdom. You wouldn't understand it here on earth. And you would never enter it into the life to come. You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. It really is. But that's not what he said. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? If Jesus said, I need to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven or to enter into it. That's what I want today. How can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. 
Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either you did or he will. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Today can be your day to become born again. You can get baptized next week to celebrate this. It can all begin today. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if that's what you'd like to do. And I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat. Nobody's looking but me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. So if you've never been born again, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want a relationship with God, if you want a new beginning, if you want forgiveness, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. One, God brought you here. It's not an accident. Two, every circumstance in your life has led to this moment. God's drawing you to this moment. And now he's calling you to begin your new relationship with him, to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift it high. I want to pray for you. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anywhere else? Eight, nine, anywhere else? Ten, 11, 12, back in the back. Yes, you can put your hands down. The last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 12, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I've never prayed to be born again. I need a new beginning today. I need to be born again today. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Last 10 seconds is just for you. Raise your hand and wave it at me if you didn't raise your hand already. All right, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, 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 I see. Yes, I see that hand. Okay, now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to pray out loud with me. We're going to join you, those of you that raised your hand in this prayer, to be born again. Come on, church, let's join them. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning.